This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how's things, mate? Yeah, very good. Thanks, mate. Uh, well, you know, I don't want to sound too upbeat because it's been a mixed mixed week for Liverpool. So I'll just say from a personal point of view, I'm doing all right. But uh, yeah, I better say not too much more because uh, I'm sure we're going to get into all that now. Yeah, all is doom and gloom on Merseyside, mate. <laughs> One draw has, has a majorly dampened the mood. Nah, it's, uh, it's not that bad. We're, we're still OK. No. We're still on for three trophies. The fourth is looking a bit less likely. Uh, we're going to speak about why on this podcast. We'll have a little look at Spurs, um, little look at Villa, talking points around those those two games, and a look ahead, obviously, to this week's final, uh, which is which is a nice thing, another domestic final for Liverpool to contest. Um, but I think we'll we'll reverse backwards first, and we'll go towards Spurs. We won't stay there for too long because Liverpool have since moved away from this game. But I mean, one one. Nice thing here is I can give myself a bit of a pat on the back, maybe, because I, I did envisage a draw. Um, and when Liverpool did draw, I think it was probably a, a justified draw as well. I don't think either team really deserved to win. Liverpool didn't really create any of note. And uh, it proves to be a difficult game, which we, we both knew it would be. Yeah, you spot on, mate. It was. It was a, um, you know, we said going into it, this is probably going to be. Um, Liverpool's toughest remaining league fixture and did turn out to be that you know a really organised Conte team without the ball made life really difficult for Liverpool in terms of creating chances uh, and then we you know we talked about the threat specifically about you know Kane, Son and inevitably it was it was Son who, who obviously scores a, a big goal uh, what was a crucial period really second half taking the lead you know a lot less time to try and get back into the game Um you know, Liverpool did manage to do it through through Diaz again, of course, uh, but just didn't get that second goal, which we've become so used to them doing, haven't we? Really, we've seen it's, it's always felt inevitable, but it didn't come this time. And you know, sadly, because of the standards that Liverpool and City setting each other, you know, you it's you only draw one game, and and suddenly it looks like it's all done, it's all over. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very much. An accurate scoreline, I thought. Liverpool's expected goals on the day was 1.2. Spurs was 1.1. Liverpool did post a fair few shots more, I think. Yeah, see, Liverpool posted 22 shots, mate. Mm. And from 22 shots, if you're getting 1.2 XG, that suggests that your shots are just not very good. Mm. What I mean by that is uh, not from good areas. You know, not, not necessarily in terms of the connection with the shot. But just in terms of the shots that you're creating, they're not really the types that you should expect to score from. Um, mm-hmm. Liverpool largely dominated the game, especially the second half. Um, and in terms of, I suppose, what, what Spurs forced Liverpool into, it was very much kind of a crossing game, really. Liverpool were just hitting aimless crosses into the box for, the, for a period, and it was relatively easy for Spurs to defend against. A uh, bit of discrepancy in the numbers, though. I'm not sure if you've got any thoughts on this one. So, a match of the day reported that Liverpool hit a total of, I think it was 47 crosses, which was the most for us all season in a single game. 
But if you look at FB ref using uh, stats bombs numbers, Liverpool hit 21, which is mm. that's a serious difference. That that's like half the figure, um, mm. half the total. Sorry, um, and 21 wouldn't even be enough to be Liverpool's most this season. Liverpool have hit more crosses in, in a fair few matches than 21. So uh, I'm not really sure what's going on there. That's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Um, I think it all comes down to definitions, doesn't it? Because while we would, while you were talking, then I had a quick look on to see what White Scouts has it down as a neighbor of thirty-seven. So, um, <laughs> I think what inevitably happens is it'll just be definitions, won't it? But I'd be more inclined to maybe lean more on uh, stats bomb slash FB refs numbers. Um, you know, I'm not saying they're always right, and we don't know, do we? Unless you go and check everything, but. They do tend to be uh, there or thereabouts and considered kind of, you know, one of the market leaders or if not the market leader. So, yeah, it's, um, I mean, the, the, the reality is Josh doesn't change too much, does it? That it was a, it was a kind of fr- frustrating trait from a Liverpool perspective that they were forced into a lot of kind of um, hitting up crosses and also, you know, hitting up shots, really, not, not able to get close enough to the goal to create enough, you know, clear cut chances and, and kind of hitting from distance and hoping that, you know, one one finds the court. I suppose you can make a case that that's how they got back into the game, you know, deflected shot. It can work in your favour, but that doesn't tend to um happen too many times. Yeah. Um I mean I must say on, on the back of the performance, I don't think Salah was particularly good. <laughs> I think Salah was his decision making in certain moments was, was horrendous, mate. Um, and I think sometimes that can be a product of of just tiredness, really. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing so often. And we've said before that I think out of Liverpool's front line, he's probably the most uh, indispensable, maybe in terms of his profile, simply because he's the only one of them who's left footed. So you, he, he probably has to play the most minutes out of them all. Um, and you know, you've got to consider, you've got to factor in what happened with Afcon, things like that. Since don't get me wrong, he scored every now and then, but he—I don't know if it's just me—he he hasn't looked as sharp since he came back from that tournament. Um, and in this game, this was a you know a bad game that cap- captured what he's like on his worst day. Maybe um, can be a frustrating player, and uh, I think it was one of them days for him. Yeah, well, he's um, he scored seven goals since Afcon, uh, but only four from open play, and. So, you know, the three penalties in there. And if you think about it before he went, he'd scored 23 goals. So, you know, it's vastly different, isn't it, really? And we're getting to the stage where, uh, in terms of games played, it'd still be marginally more before the tournament. But, you know, it's getting quite similar. So, it's just been kind of two really contrasting uh, halves of the season for them. Uh, and there will be, obviously, elements of fatigue in there. But, I mean, you look at, you look at Mane and you're like, you know, he's he scored 12 since he's come back, all from open play, and he just looks, for me, he looks really sharp. So, yeah, it's 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 hard to be too critical of Salah, isn't it? Because you do appreciate how much football he's played, and he, he probably is just fatigued at this stage. But um, it feels like when he's not at his best, his worst um, can be a bit of a problem sometimes. You know, he can, be, he can try and force things that aren't there, like, not always the best team player, and can be a little bit... Almost destructive to the team's play. Yeah, it, was, it just comes on the back of a, a video that I saw actually of it was a, a Luis Diaz type video 
um, Luis Diaz fan account type thing. But it, it just showed in this match alone a number of occasions where Salah had the ball, Diaz was wide open. And for whatever reason, Salah tried to shoot or tried to do something daft out the ordinary by playing a pass that he just shouldn't really be attempting. Mm. Um, but there was at least at least four specific opportunities where Diaz is in the box or around the box waiting for the ball free and he just didn't receive the ball from Salah. And I think Salah on his game makes better decisions and probably finds him half the time. Um, but it just didn't really seem to happen. Liverpool experienced a frustrating game here. Um, Spurs obviously played in. I thought he played okay, personally. You know, after the game, Klopp had a go at Conte. I think he regrets that a little bit now. But he said that he um, he pointed out they can't coach it and pointed out that Spurs have got world-class players and that they should be doing more for the game. Um, but on the back of the performance, as I said, I, I thought Spurs proved to be more offensive than most opponents Liverpool face at Anfield. And I was actually quite impressed with them. Um, don't get me wrong, they very much sat in uh, a block. Difficult to break down, back five at times. But when it comes to when you're on the ball, they did get bodies forward. You know, they did spread the pitch out wide. Sometimes they had a bank of five across Liverpool, back four. Uh, wing back getting high and wide and things. And uh, The goal that they scored was really good, so... I, th- I think on, on, on reflection, Klopp probably re- regrets that one because, you know, Spurs were far better than, you know, Atletico Madrid, for example, in terms of the way they played against, against Liverpool early in the season. Hmm. Yeah, I think that just birthed from the uh, frustration at the result, didn't he? You know, uh, didn't it? Sorry, I think had Liverpool managed to sneak a second, then he probably would have been a lot more complimentary about Spurs and Conte, but... You know, it was a damaging result. I think that that obviously, with emotions still running so high, that's what led you know for, to, to what he said. Because uh, you know, I, I agree. It was a really, really good uh, game plan, as in like well executed. You know, if, if they would have opened up and went toe to toe with Liverpool, they would they would have clearly got beat. Um, and you know, there's no point for getting a pat on the head and saying at least you uh, at least you had football at your, at the forefront of your decision. Um, you know, ultimately, they're allowed to try and get points, and that was a big one for them. So, yeah, but you know, to Klopp's credit, he 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 pretty much. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think he apologised as such, did he? But he basically just admitted that he was a, he was wrong in his comments a few days later. You know, when emotions are kind of levelled out a bit. So, look, it is what it is. It's a really emotional game, and and sometimes it gets the better of you. Yeah, that's it. Shortly after Liverpool, obviously faced Aston Villa, and. Did manage to get over the line after the scare. Uh, conceded first, looked very, really shaky early on. Something was clearly up with Fabinho, despite the injury, even even around the injury. He just looked all over the place a little bit. Um, not sure what was wrong with him. Mm. But then, gradually, Liverpool come into the game and the winning goal was scored by a certain Sadio Mane. Obviously, since... Well, not since, not sure if it was before or after, but he's been unusually linked with the move to Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, he, he he's due to run out of contract in about 12 months now. Um, same with Salah. Salah seems to be ahead of him in the pecking order when it comes to getting an, at least an offer on the table. You got any thoughts on this one, what Liverpool should do, how Liverpool should navigate this? Because personally, I, I don't think 
even if they all wanted to sign, even if they were all willing to sign for a reasonable amount, I don't think Liverpool would, would extend the deals of Mane, Salah and Firmino. I think someone has to leave, but specifically when it comes to Mane and Salah, what do Liverpool do here? Yeah, so my theory on this is probably uh, earlier on, or you know, maybe at the start of this year, um, you know, sometime last year, they probably sat down, you know, the club officials and and decided that maybe um, in terms of a priority, it's um, Salah. Salah's going to be the priority. He's a he's a little bit younger. Um, he's performing at you know a, a really high level still, which you know at times. You can say for me, you know, has looked a little bit less um, less important. Although I'm conscious to say that because I think at stages this year for me, you know, has again pr- proved his worth. But you know, he, he of the three, he's probably the one that's looked the most dispensable. And then um, you know, Mane is at times in the past looked a little bit hit and miss by his lofty standards. But I don't know, Josh. I think there's a fair case to say that the the picture may have changed in more recent times because you know you're looking at Mane now and he he still just looks phenomenal you know at 30 he still looks really uh at the peak in, in physically uh still looks really dangerous as, as an attacker and this isn't a criticism of Salah as such but maybe more those around him he seems to have a lot less baggage than than and Salah does, you know, I imagine if you went to, into negotiations with Mane, Mane, I think they'd be a little bit smoother. So I'm not fully saying that suddenly the club move all the attentions to Mane over Salah, but I reckon there's at least a conversation to be had there. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it, it is a really difficult one. Um, I agree with you when you say, I think, Mane would be more willing to sign if you if you I think you'd you'd have to navigate fewer hurdles there. Um and I also agree with you when you're saying about Firmino. I think one thing you didn't touch on there with Firmino is this season more than ever, he's picking up knocks, he's picking up injuries. And that that's never been a trait of his, but this season it is for whatever reason. Whether that's a sign of things to come, I'm not sure. Whether it's a product of old age potentially. You know that sort of thing, maybe a little bit of things to worry about, but that's that's the kind of thing you can avoid if you opt against tying down thirty-year-old players. Mm. Um, but when it comes to Mane and Salah, it's just tricky. It's, it's like uh, it's weird how things swing. You know, it's, and, and it's weird how much of it just stems from who is finding the net and who isn't. You know, that, that's that's the crux of the narrative, really. If you look at Mane's last eleven games for Liverpool. And bear in mind, those 11 games are happening virtually every three days. He hasn't gone more than one game without a goal across the last 11 games he's played. Mm. Um, any game in which he hasn't scored, he scored the next one. Um, so when it comes to what he's doing in terms of the difference he's making and it is his perception, let's say, it looks like he's suddenly become a new player. When in reality, for the full season, he's probably been set playing to the same level all season. The big difference has just been his conversion. Goals mm-hmm. do a lot for your reputation. Uh, they did a lot for Maxi Rodriguez's reputation when he was at Liverpool. They did a lot for Louis Garcia's reputation. Done a lot for Divock Origi's reputation. Mm-hmm. And Mane has always been, a, well, for the most part, at least a, a solid contributor. But it just seems to be the past couple of months. It's not even the past couple of months, the past five, six weeks. 
mm. he's suddenly able to find the net. And I saw a I saw a visualization on um I think it might have been Sky actually, and it said something like Mane's last eleven games compared to his previous eleven games, he actually generated a higher XG in his previous eleven. But I think he scored something like seven goals. Mm. And in his eleven since, he's generated lesser XG, but has overperformed in terms of his finishing. So it's funny how these things work. And uh, sometimes when you're giving these deals out and you, you're trying to assess the situation, you have to kind of um, remove the finishing element as almost noise because it can fluctuate so much. Yeah, well, at the end, of, yeah, it's, it's it's a constant variance, isn't it? Just constantly varies, you know. So you'll hit purple patches, and then you'll hit, um, yeah, that's it. And then you'll kind of hit these these barren spells. But um, yeah, I do agree. That. I just think he looks such a sharp attacker, though. You know, away from the the kind of black and white and the numbers alone. Um, and that's just again just on that point of the baggage. I just think he's got so much less that. He, maybe if it's not a case that Liverpool choose to move on to him instead of Salah, maybe it'll just be in a position where it's like, we're not getting anywhere. You know, we've hit a brick wall. Um, let's make sure Mane stays. And, and, you know, that could potentially happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's almost any possibility where all three of them would leave. Uh, I, can't, I can't envisage that happening at all. I think if Salah was to leave... Um, which I think we will know in the next couple of months. I think by if he hasn't signed by the start of next season, I think he's leaving. I think he's probably mm-hmm. gone. At that point, you should probably be looking to tie Mane down as a certainty. And then in terms of Firmino, I'm not really sure when it comes to Firmino. Uh, you know, he's the oldest. He's been at the club the longest. Mm. Probably the least... Um, threatening, maybe. Least penetrative in terms of you know, worrying about him and him delivering endless goals and assists and, and things like that. So I'm not really sure what you do with that department, but it's, it is a tricky one to, to see what Liverpool do. And considering Liverpool's recruitment decisions over the years, the gold standard, it is going to be really interesting to see how you navigate this one because you have we have reached that point, haven't we, where almost anything the club do, you, you just automatically inclined to think, oh, yeah, it's the right move. Um, yeah. But this is, a, this is one of those um, tightrope ones, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's just when you were talking about Firmino, then I was like, you know, he's gone from maybe being like the third best perceived finish to, at the club to the, like the fifth now, isn't he? Really, with you throwing Diaz and Jota in there, so yeah, you know, you are kind of fifth best goal scorer. Uh, yeah, you, I think it just makes you no matter you know we've already spoke so many times about what he brings to the team, but I think that alone makes you very susceptible to being the man. Uh, who goes and I said a few months ago I, I think you were still unsure about this um, but I said it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up going this summer if someone come in Not, I don't know who would but you know Firmino yeah yeah I mean he might yeah. not but I just think you know he's probably dispendable at this stage now uh, and Liverpool could get a bit of money for him yeah yeah no it's possible um, it's going to be interesting to see how things work out one thing with Mane though in comparison to Salah. I know I bang on about this a fair bit, but I think it matters. Mane, again, is right-footed. And Liverpool have a few of these now. Salah has that edge that he, he is left-footed, and he's the only... Like Diaz, for example, played on the right of Liverpool's front three against Villa the other day. Mm. And he, he was just nowhere near what we expect from Luis Diaz. And, and his 
natural movements, you know, the, the coming inside and what he usually does 1v1, just looked awkward because he didn't have those natural angles. Like, I'm right-footed. I, I play on the left usually. I know exactly what that feels like when you're deployed on the right and you're just naturally gaining inroads by almost running towards the corner flag rather than running towards the goal. You just feel a lot less. You just feel out of your comfort zone almost. Um, yeah. And I you think Salah has goals that. normally as well, aren't you, rather than scoring? Yeah. Yeah, and you're creating goals with crosses as well rather mm-hmm. than like... <laughs> just got a, a message there from our producer just in capital letters. Put him on his left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure what he means to be honest with you. Um, yeah it's it, it's an interesting element of Salah's game and it's one that makes him probably more valuable than Mane when it comes to keeping him because if you're going to replace Salah with left footed player Rafinha was the word a few months back he's getting linked with Barcelona now things like that so I'm not sure what you do there it's going to be it's going to be tricky mm, I agree mate and I, I was trying to think you know we've always assumed that the if Salah goes, there's going to be a uh, replacement who'd be left footed. But I don't know. I get a little. I think that's a little bit tougher now because you've got so many, um, so many attackers, top attackers already in the team. Maybe it's a case of um, just trying to keep Salah for another year, even if you're not going to let have him sign, and then bring in that left footed uh, replacement. Um, but there is so many different avenues to go down here. Um, and that does add another little bit of uh, another element to the Mane versus Salah kind of uh, discussion because it is important. You know, it is an important factor. Even though Mane can play on that side, it's just a little bit different. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I'm just looking back now at a newsletter that I sent a few months back. And it was a QA newsletter, actually. And someone asked, you know, if you're replacing Salah, who'd you get type thing? And I didn't have, I couldn't dedicate that much time to it because I had other questions to answer and I had other work to do and, and things like that. But at, on the quickest glance of the numbers, what, incorporating left footed players, players who are also fast, they have to be fast to play in Liverpool's front line. I come up with just five rough shouts and. Those players were Rafinha, Jared Bowen, Bukayo Saka, mm. Anthony, and Musa Diaby. Um, I think those players are comparable to Salah in terms of what they offer on the pitch, but none of them really at Salah's level. I'm not sure how many of them will reach close to Salah's level. Mm. Saka is obviously uh, an, an outside-the-box show, considering he's playing for Arsenal. It's probably unlikely. Uh so it just captures the difficulty that Liverpool have got at the minute. One question I've got for you is the, the, the links around Mane leaving, it wasn't just Mane's going to go. It was kind of, it was a touted thing for a swap deal with uh, Serge Gnabry. I think the agent is in charge of both players, funnily enough. Uh, Gnabry's currently experiencing similar contract issues with Bayern. Would you have any interest in that? Yeah, I would because... Um... I'd probably rate um, Mane as a better attacker. You know, I think that's fair to say. But you know, he's he's four years younger, and I just think that that that's a that's a big factor in that potential deal. You know, you could potentially bring a player in who's got a really high ceiling, uh, who's four years younger. 
so I'll be on straight away. I'll be looking at that thinking, you know, that 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 could be uh, an interesting deal in my opinion. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, I am. I wouldn't rule that out. I am similar because I, do, I am a fan of Gnabry. I think he's a top player. I think he's stylistically comparable to Manik. As you just said, he's a couple of years younger. He's 26 years old. Been doing it at the top for a while now. He even has Premier League experience. In fact, not even sure. Does he even qualify as homegrown? Because if he does, that's know. a big perk, that. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually Arsenal. know. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know what the uh, score is. Obviously, he represents uh, Germany, doesn't but I don't know what that criteria is on it. Yeah, I'm just looking now. He was at Arsenal. He joined Arsenal in 2013. And didn't leave for Germany until 2016. So, however old he was for those three years, I'm not sure. After looking into that one, I'm not really sure the reason on that one. But that's an interesting little, little element to me. Um, but it's just, I don't know. It's just whether whether it's a deal that makes sense for all parties. It's not. It's not one I rule out because he is a top player. You know, I've seen him play. He's amazing. But um. I do think in, in an ideal world, despite his age, I think Liverpool would probably like to keep things relatively status quo, not change the squad too much, and maybe get rid of one, possibly two of the of, of the, the traditional Liverpool front three this summer. Um, whereas if you start getting and swap, swapping Mane for Gnabry and Firmino also leaves and. Um, you know, Milner and Henderson coming to the end and things like that. You don't want to have too much change when it comes to mm-hmm. contingency plans and things like that. So it's one to watch anyway. It's going to be an interesting one. Um, but on the weekend, Liverpool have Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Another FA, uh, another domestic cup final. Liverpool's first FA Cup final in quite a while now. Are we looking at this one? Sorry, I just turned my mic off while I was coughing. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, really interesting because you know these these uh, meetings with certainly two chills, uh, Chelsea have been really really tight. And what what actually dawned on me, Josh, is a uh, Klopp actually hasn't beat him yet in ninety minutes, has he? Since he's come to England, well, you can say one hundred and twenty minutes, I guess, because um, obviously the League Cup win was via penalty shootout. Um, and either side of that, I think there's been two draws and. Or is it one draw, one defeat? One of the two anyway. But it's uh, it's always really, really tight against Chelsea. And I mean, I'm, I'm expecting another really tight game. Chelsea seem to bring out their best version of themselves against, against Liverpool. I think at times they've definitely looked a little bit more vulnerable than, than we would have expected earlier in the year. More recently, obviously, against Wolves last weekend, they go and lose a a two-goal uh, lead and, and draw 2-2, two, two. but definitely on the whole, um, they, they seem to really rise against fixtures versus Liverpool, which means it could be another really tight game on Saturday. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, I don't I don't tend to enjoy facing Chelsea. Uh, I think they're a difficult side to break down and specifically going forward. They just seem really equipped, I think, really capable of exploiting Liverpool's high line slash offside trap. It's quite funny that I've just said that because they obviously got done by the offside trap on a number of occasions in the Carabao Cup final. But, mm. you know, people still go on about that Lukaku goal in like the 115th minute and, and whether that was actually offside or not because it was so tight. Mm. 
So you could argue Liverpool maybe got let off the hook there, but just generally, even dating back to when Tuchel first arrived and Liverpool had a few injury issues and we were playing in empty stadiums, even then, I felt that Chelsea were, were really good at um, just getting in behind Liverpool's defensive line. And, um, if you look at the squad that they've got, I do think Liverpool can maybe get a bit of comfort from the fact that in midfield, it's looking like it's going to be a duo of Jorginho and Ruben Loftus-Cheek as opposed to Kovacic and Kante, for example. Mm. So, and, and for the first time, it looks like Thiago is probably going to start against Chelsea, uh, whereas the previous matches we haven't had him. So, there could be a few differences here. But despite saying that, I am still obviously concerned that Liverpool are coming up against Chelsea and in the Carabao Cup final. On balance, I'm not sure who deserved to win that game. Chelsea did have a fair few breaks, <clears throat> scored a fair few goals, albeit they were marginally offside and things. And This is almost a coin flip, this game. Yeah, I... Um... I'm just reading up as we're talking now on on, on to see if if there was any hint on on um, Kante maybe coming back in. I'm just reading the latest quotes from. Well, I think they were a day or two. Yeah. So, yeah. So you, he he may be in contention by the by the sounds of it. And the reason I'm flagging in, him in particular is because uh, obviously he's phenomenal. And you know, last few times I watched him, he's looked at his absolute best again, and seems to cause. Liverpool's midfield problems. Obviously, Liverpool will be without Fabinho as well, won't they? Which is which is a big blow. Well, I assume they will. Do we know for sure? Yeah. Uh, no, we don't. But I did see something this morning saying he's potentially in contention. So, it's oh, just, okay. You know, we haven't got a clue on that one, to be honest. No, yeah. Because um, I, I think that midfield battle, the reason we're focusing on it is I think it'll just be really interesting. But, you know, if, they, if Chelsea are without those two... Um, then it definitely swings it back in Liverpool's favour for me, especially with Thiago playing in there. Um, uh, yeah, I expect them to have a few more opportunities than say the the had against against Spurs. Um, but it'll still be a really tight game. And you are right; they, they seem to know how to cause that that back line, Liverpool's back line issues. Um, similar to how I thought, you know, at times Villa did a decent job of it as well. Um, and it, from a wider point, Josh, I was watching that Villa game, right? And I was thinking, we know why they play this. You know, it's all about getting high up the pitch, uh, dominant territory, making it really difficult to play out when the ball's turned over. You know, it's clear that it's very successful. But what I would say is, it does feel like a lot of teams get at least one or two opportunities per game to that really caused Liverpool problems. Um, and I'll see if I can dig out why I wrote this piece, but I'm sure I wrote a piece recently and Alisson had faced... I mean, saying this, it sounds wrong. I, I need to double-check it, but I think he, he, he's faced the most one-on-ones of any goalkeeper in the Premier League this season. Yeah, he has. I know what you're going yeah. to yeah. So I'm 40, thinking... 47, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I looked at last week. It may be different now, but yeah, say... The number may be different, but the, the ranking isn't. You know, he's faced the most one-on-ones of any Premier League goalkeeper this season. You know, that is a bit of a red flag for me, I'll be honest. Like, I know he's phenomenal at what he does, but, um, I, I yeah, that's, that's a red flag to me. I, I don't know how you feel about it when you, when you, I assume you must have already seen it. 
Yeah, I, I just wonder how much of it is intentional almost. I mean, obviously, you, you don't want to be facing 1v1s. That's that's mm. an obvious. But in terms of how that almost allows Alison's skill set to shine, I do think he's the best around that I've seen at dominating those 1v1s. Yeah. And if Liverpool's approach works, um, maybe the opposition will get one of them again if Liverpool's approach works. If Liverpool's approach is slightly off it, maybe there's two, potentially three. But, you know, at, at times Liverpool can can virtually kill their opponents to the extent where they don't create anything. Uh, so I don't know. I, I know exactly what you mean. And mm. I thought Liverpool would get opened up a few times against Spurs. They did. Um, and I think I expected to happen against Chelsea. But with a, 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 it'd be interesting to ask Klopp, would you still play like that if Alisson wasn't your goalkeeper? Mm. And see what his, what his response would be. Um, but it does it, it, it does all come inside with attacking football, high defensive line, offside trap. So it's not... I'm not. If you was going to change it to avoid those things, you could almost end up becoming worse. Mm, yeah, yeah, it would have a domino effect, wouldn't it? You know, the way I concluded when I was just thinking about it when I was watching this Villa game was because you do kind of role play having that these conversations with Klopp, for example, and being like, you know what, uh, do, do you ever are you ever concerned about that? And the way I did conclude it was, I imagine he'd say something like, "Well, to have all of this." You know everything we talk about in terms of going forward, dominating the ball, dominating territory. To have all that, you've got to have something as a consequence, and, and that is this slight vulnerability to to balls over the top played in behind. That you know, if if attackers time the run right, they tend to get through in on goal. But as a contingency, we we have what we believe to be you know the best shot stopper in the division, possibly in Europe, and and we're confident that. He'll he'll get us out of the situation uh, more times than not, and his record would would signify that he does. I just I suppose these these types of games are the games that you're mildly concerned about, maybe because the mm. Allison's obviously facing one v ones against top top players. You know the likes of Son Young Min is is a top top finisher that I've flagged before. Harry Kane is the same. Mason Mount generally plays very well against Liverpool. Lukaku, I know he hasn't had the best season, but Lukaku can put put the ball in the net. You know, we know we know all about his quality. Um, so it's it's in these big games that I suppose the risk versus reward of letting Allison face these one v ones is is a bit more um, conservation maybe. But then at the same time, it just, it all just kind of allows Liverpool to play in such an offensive way. And you could argue these top teams like the likes of Chelsea aren't used to being attacked in these in this way. Like mm-hmm. Klopp, Klopp is just relentless with his uh, selection of a back four. It's just I don't think he's off the top of my head. I don't think he started in any Liverpool game with a back five, not once. Um, not that a back five is necess- or a back three or whatever you want to call it is necessarily defensive. It comes back to how he lived the formation really, but. I think it's just testament to how Klopp has just weathered to being attacking across the board that his only ever moves towards back fives have been tactical towards the end of a game or or, or something like that. Um, Everton Liverpool do it. Pep Lenders has talked about this. Everton in training, every training session he does has to coincide with the principle of we are an attacking team, you know, at heart. 
Uh, I think Ronald Koeman said something about that a few years ago, that the only truly attacking coach out there is is Jürgen Klopp because he attacks with like eight players and it's just uh, it's quite mad. But in these games, maybe we have to be a bit more balanced and against these types of teams, those 1v1s can obviously hear you. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm conscious of, of sounding too negative. Definitely not. Just about painting that whole picture, isn't it? But like the good news is Chelsea haven't really looked themselves, have they? These last few weeks. Um, I'm just having a quick look at the record now, and yeah, they've they've only won two of the last uh, six matches. You know, and they obviously they, they won. They've had one day less to prepare for the final because they played against Leeds uh, last night on Wednesday night. Um, they kind of give up, give up that two goal lead against Wolves, didn't they? Uh, lost to Everton, so they do. And for the first time as well, I've heard Tuchel leaning a little bit on excuses, saying things like, you know, the um, club ownership problems are are causing a little bit of disruption for the team. Uh, it's having a clear impact. You know, players like Rudiger, who's been so important for them, he's. You know, it's already been revealed he's going to leave at the end of the season and go to Real Madrid. So, what what I, one the point I'm trying to make is, I think compared to when the sides met in the Carabao Cup final, I don't think things look as rosy as they were uh, as they were then compared to now. You know, Chelsea do look a little bit more broken, I guess, as a as a as a club and two chills kind of set up as well. Analyzing Anfield. On the Blood Red Channel. One player who does seem to look marginally himself lately is Lukaku, funnily enough. Uh, he's played 90 minutes, two games in a row, or, well, 89 minutes against Wolves. Uh, scored two against Wolves, and yesterday night scored one against Leeds. So it's going to be interesting to see if Lukaku starts. I think, I'm not sure if I would actually rather him start. Uh, or not, because he is a threat in transition. He can certainly finish moves based on the Carabao Cup final. He probably scores one of the opportunities that Chelsea had if he'd have played. But then he is prone to become disconnected with the team. So that's going to be an interesting one to look at. I'm not sure whether I even want him to, to start or not, really. Do you think um, Do you think Liverpool are a better opponent for him to start against? Right, because... Yeah. Uh, yeah, just for the reasons you've you've laid out there, you know, I think his issues have been in a dominant side, hasn't it, against teams where there's not much space to exploit. But obviously, if Liverpool are going to be exploited, sorry, if Chelsea are going to exploit anyone, they'll have a chance with Liverpool on the break. Yeah, well, Lukaku's uh, he's always been painted as this target man, and that's understandable considering he's like what six six foot three, you know, and and, he, and he's stronger than most centre halves, but then. When it comes to that, it's not his game. I think I have always felt his game is is almost in transition. And I, and some of his best performances, I can remember over the years, I can remember two right off the top of my head. One of them was for Everton against Arsenal when I play, when he played on the on the right, was he? Mm, um, right and the side, other one yeah. was for Belgium uh, against Brazil when again he played on the on the flanks. Mm. Um, and I just think it it captures how he's. Uh, He's almost a counter-attacking player, despite his size. And when he's playing part of a, a possession-based team, he doesn't seem to shine as much. Another player, funnily enough, who was similar. And I'm going to divert the convo here away from the FA Cup final. I'm going to leave that one there because I've just thought of an ex- 
an extra talking point that we just have to touch upon is Erling Haaland. Obviously, he's now agreed to join Manchester City. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Is that uh, it? Was that a hugely disappointed from you? It was. It, that was supposed to be an overemphasized sigh. That was yeah. like, uh, again, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. What? Well, uh, yeah, look, the immediate obvious thought is we've talked about him a lot. You know, kind of clinical, uh, elite goal scorer. Still just twenty-one. You know, a, a bit of a kind of. Um, I mean this in a in a really nice way, but a bit of a freak of nature. You know, in terms of his physical profile. <laughs> Um, ticks many boxes. Yeah, you know I can understand why you know, Liverpool, from a Liverpool point of view, it's hugely disappointing. Um, the only thing, though, Joshua would say, uh, and I'm sure you'll go back onto the positives before we go on to any negatives. But he um, he's had a lot of injury issues this year. Um, yeah, the games. Well, that was that that was going to be, I suppose the. The positive angle on it. Not that it's positive, really. It's a nasty thing, really, isn't it? But <laughs> when it comes to competition in the division and Liverpool maybe not suffering at the hands of this player. Yeah, he has picked up a fair few knocks and, and they're not like they're not major ones, are they? The little annoying ones that mm-hmm. maybe Naby Keita has picked up, mm-hmm. that maybe Daniel Agger picked up during his prime years at Liverpool, those types of things. Uh and I do think you've just labelled him there as a freak of nature. I agree with you. And I think almost when you've got players that are like that, they're almost prone to those types of issues um, mm. purely because of, you know, their physical construction almost. Like yeah. Adama Traore, for example, is another one who's probably a bit of a freak of nature in terms of his build and stuff like that. He, he publicly claimed to have never worked out in the gym. <laughs> which is insane um, but he, he, he's had a number of issues with dislocating the shoulder uh, it just seems to happen fairly regularly and I'm no expert when it comes to the medical side of things but Harlan looks like another type of player who because he's so almost physically perfect he naturally encounters the odd little issue or something that's a bit of a mm. weird one mm. but aside from that it's hard to to nail how this deal could go wrong, really. Yeah, that's it. it, it you'd almost feel if he, if he stays on the pitch, then he's going to be uh, he's going to be lethal and a, a big asset for City. I know you could potentially look at Chelsea and Lukaku and say, look, there's no guarantee that uh, you put a great striker in a in a team and they're successful. I get that, but. Uh, I think City are absolute masters of of working themselves into an opposition's penalty area, uh, cutting the ball back to attackers in the middle, and and that's absolutely perfect for for Haaland. So, you know, we we might get our eye wide, but prediction wise, I think he's going to be a, a huge success there. And as I mean, his age, you could you could have for five or six years of him, and then sell him in his prime for you know at least getting your money back. So it's a there crazy. Yeah, I mean, over the course of the past three seasons, he's overperformed XG in the Bundesliga by 12.5 goals. So that suggests he's, at the very least, a good finisher. Um, and if you look at just his stylistic makeup, he can kind of play any brand of football, really. Or, or, when it, it looks like that way, anyway. It looks like he can counter attack. It looks like he can score headers. 
it looks like he can pose a threat from set pieces. Looks like he can poach. Um, he looks like he can fight. You know, he's six foot four. I think uh, he's a threat from behind. So he does look like a complete. He looks like a machine, doesn't he? He looks like mm. a, a lab construction. Um, what I think one one thing I do have to flag is his biggest pick in in Germany has been on the transition. You know, he he does benefit from wide open spaces in the Bundesliga, counter attacking, through balls and behind. Just because of the makeup of City and the dominance of City, that should happen less. So I don't think he, I don't think he will benefit from that as much. Um, which is he? I mean, you've got Kevin De Bruyne feeding him, so you never know. <laughs> but yeah. that that's think, one little thing that I think yeah. he'll have to, maybe have to get used to. I was like Grealish, isn't it? Really, you know, Grealish has went from largely being a player who, who was most dangerous, picking the ball up on, in transition, you know, getting a lot of the ball and kind of running. And um, you know, he's still Grealish is ironically still getting the same amount of touches per ninety as he was getting available. It's just he's getting them in completely different scenarios, isn't he? And I, and I think that's why he's not being as good as as good as we expected. Yeah, it really is going to be interesting to see how how he's accommodated by Pep. And how he accommodates his own game to to fit into this team, and there's the the very slight uh, possibility maybe that he almost not breaks the team, but causes a bit of disruption for a short period, like Lukaku has, because he's not a natural fit into a strikerless total football system. He's just kind of the guy at the top who will put the ball in the net for you. Mm-hmm. And City haven't played with that player for about two years now. Mm. So it's going to be interesting. I'm not sure how good his link-up game is, personally. I don't know how comfortable he would be drifting into 10 spaces and doing maybe bits of what Aguero was doing. But Pep has worked with Lewandowski, who's very much a penalty box player. And, you know, he, he got the most out of him, really. I mean, I think Lewandowski's actually since done even better than when Pep was there. But uh, it's just difficult to envisage a scenario where Haaland struggles, apart from... The early couple of months, maybe when there's a bit of an adjustment period, and hopefully Liverpool can find a way of taking advantage of that potentially. But yeah. it's it's going to be interesting to watch next season, and he's probably going to be in our FPL teams, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, be in the FPL teams, and uh, yeah, it makes uh, makes like it'll make from a Liverpool point of view, it is it is going to make life a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Because he has potential to add more goals to that team. But look, you never know. You you never know, do you? No, what I will say, I don't think it'll it'll make the league any more one-sided than it is now. I think things will stay fairly similar. There's no way you can start beating 100 points every season. It'll still be a 95-point mark that we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't want to end up on too much of a, of, a, of a negative note anyway. It's going to be interesting to see them in the league. Liverpool have top-elite opposition to compete with now. Uh, not that they haven't had anyway. And Liverpool have an FA Cup final to win this weekend, so hopefully Liverpool will lift the trophy. And regardless, Liverpool will be in contention for years to come. So not to worry about there, Dave. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. <clears throat> yeah, we'll be back next week to hopefully talk about Liverpool winning yet another trophy. So see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.